and you are my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you again, and thank you for being here with us today. As I said earlier, we are wrapping up our Advent series today, and we uh, have said that for this time of Advent, we would uh, look at the birth narratives of Christ as rendered uh, in the gospel according to St. Matthew and then Luke's version in Luke chapter 2. And we've done that already, and then we've made our way then to uh, John's account of the coming of Christ. So we're going to do that today in John. It's found in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Would you join me there as we read that passage? John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. I will be reading from the English Standard Version, God's Holy Word, and it reads thusly, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. True light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So today, as we wrap up our Advent series on this fourth Sunday of Advent, I want to talk about the light of the world, the light of the world. It was in 1847 uh, when French composer and music critic Adolf Adam wrote a Christmas carol entitled Cantique de Noel. The carol reflects on the birth of Jesus as humanity's redemption. You likely know it by its other name, its other title, O Holy Night. And it goes like this. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is, the, it is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. 
A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Hear, oh, hear the angel voices. O night divine, O night when Christ was born. O night divine, O night divine. Led by the light of faith, serenely beaming, with glowing hearts by his cradle we stand. So led by light of a star, sweetly gleaming, here comes the wise men from the Orient land. The king of kings laid thus in a lowly manger, in all our trials born to be our friend. He knows our need to our weaknesses, no stranger. Behold, your king before him lowly bend. Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. Fall on your knees, oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine, oh, night when Christ was born. Oh, night divine, oh, night divine. There is no doubt that it was a divine and glorious night. But the question is this, what makes the night of Christ's birth so divine, so holy, so joyous, and so hopeful? That's the question. John, John can help us answer the question, even though John gives no account of the night in question. And there is no baby in a manger in this passage. Yet John can still help us to answer this relevant and pressing question, what might makes this night so divine? The Gospel of John, by the way, was penned by the aged apostle in about 85 A.D., long after the birth of Christ. It was the last of the four Gospels to be written. By the time this book was circulated among the Christian community, the other Gospels were household words. People the world over had already heard the accounts of the life of Christ as recorded in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's Gospel, though, is different. In the pages of this wonderful book, we see a side of Christ that the other Gospel writers do not touch on. John was able to walk with Jesus. He was a part of Jesus' inner circle. Matthew is about Christ as king. Matthew writes about Christ as king. Mark is about Christ as servant. Luke is about Christ as human. But John is about Christ as God. Christ is God. John's gospel highlights the deity of Jesus without minimizing his humanity. We know that Jesus is both God and man. Matthew is written primarily to Jews, Mark to Romans, Luke to Greeks. But John 
John writes to everybody, both Jews and Gentiles. He writes his gospel to everyone. And as it relates to Advent, we have seen in the past two weeks that Matthew and Luke tell us much of what happened with Advent. We get a lot of the details of what happened, how it happened, uh, the details of the birth of Christ, uh, the what with Advent. But in this passage, John will share with us the why of Advent, why Advent occurred is what we'll get from John. As we examine this passage, we'll break it into four paragraphs. Uh, First thing we'll look at is the background and the essence of Christ. Then we'll take up the forerunner and then the reasons and we'll close it out with the grandest gift. Grandest gift. First, let's look at the background and the essence of Christ as recorded by the Apostle John. It's covered in verses 1 through 5. Verses 1 through 5 again say this. In the beginning, I'll just read verse 1 for now. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John says of the background and the essence, if we can really call it a background, because in order to have a background, you have to have a beginning. And Jesus, we know, we'll find out in a minute, John will remind us that he has no beginning. But let's at least, for the purposes of our own understanding, say that this is the background and the essence of Christ, as, as recorded by John. John says this. He says that Jesus is the Word. Christ is the Word. Not only is he the Word, according to verse 1, he's also God. The word translated word in this verse is the Greek word logos. It refers to these things, speech, reasoning, explanation, a word about something. That is who Jesus is. He is called the word because a word is a visible expression of an invisible thought. Jesus is the perfect expression of who God is. He is perfectly expressed in Jesus. Not only is Jesus Christ the perfect expression of God, Jesus Christ, my brothers and sisters, is God. He is God, and John says so. He is God in human form. So he's the word. He is God, although his, all through, rather, his life, he proves the fact that he's God. All through his life, he proves it. Uh, over and over again throughout his earthly life, from the time when he says, peace be still, to the time he says, rise up and walk, to the time that he says, Lazarus, come forth, and the time that he says, the sins be forgiven thee, and finally, the time on the cross when he says, it is finished. The truth and power of his deity was on constant display. There is no doubt, Jesus is God. Every word, every deed, every miracle declared him to be God. Not only is he 
the Word and he is God, John has something else to say about the background and the essence of Christ in verse 2. Here's what verse 2 says. He was in the beginning with God. You know what John says here? He says that not only is Jesus the Word and he is the perfect expression of God and he is God, he is also preexistent. Which means that uh, uh, even in spite of this preacher's uh, uh, declaration that this is the background of Jesus, Jesus has no background that we can trace because he has no beginning. And John proves it in verse 2 because John says that Jesus is preexistent. What does it mean? It means that he, uh, our Lord did not begin to be in Bethlehem. It was not his genesis. It was not his origin. The manger is not where he started. He did not even have his origins in Genesis 1 and 2 when God created the world. We know that God creates the world. and He says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And we know that we have seen that to be a reference to the Holy Trinity. And it says that Jesus was present at that moment. But that is not where Jesus has his origin. We cannot trace his origin. He was there in Genesis 1 and 2, but he already existed when the world was created. He was there with God. He was there as God. Jesus prays, for instance, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, 5, to, to solidify and undergird and prove his preexistence. This is what he prays in 17.5. I and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He is preexistent. Not only does John help us with this about Jesus, in verse 3 he helps us to know that Jesus is the creator. Look at what, what verse 3 says. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Part of Jesus' background, in essence, is that he is creator. His origin, as we've already established, is not found in Genesis 1 and 2, but the God who created the universe is the one who was found lying in that manger in Bethlehem. He is creator. Here's what Paul says about it in Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Then Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8 verse 6 says this. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all from, from whom are all things and from whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. He is creator. Part of his essence is that of creator. But then, I like this one. In verse 4, we find out something else. About Christ. Verse 4 says this. In him was life. And the life 
was the light of men. So from verse 4, we find out uh, about the essence and background of Christ that he's also light. He is the light of the world. I shared with you last week some things that Christmas is about. Y'all that were here will remember there were some H's. Y'all remember those H's? Right, I told you last week that Christmas was about some of those things. Christmas, I told you last week, was about, uh, is about history. Christmas is about heritage. Christmas is about hardship. Christmas is about overcoming humble circumstances. Christmas is about hope. And lastly, I shared with you that Christmas is about hallelujah. Well, stop by to tell you today that Christmas is also about light. Christmas is about light. Jesus is the light of the world. He said so himself in John 8, 12. He says this, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus is light. Christmas is about light. When the word came into the world. The world was in a state of chaos, spiritually speaking. When the word appeared, he was the light that illuminated the darkness, revealing the righteousness of God and exposing man's sin. This had the effect of separating the light from the darkness as it did in Genesis chapter 1. God created this whole thing. Light was separated from darkness. When Paul gives the account of his conversion, for instance, in Acts chapter 26, verse 18, he quotes Jesus as saying these words, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Jesus is the light. Christmas is about light. Jesus is the light of the world. Uh, and this light that Jesus brings is different than most lights we can relate to. John confirms it in verse 5. This light is different. The light in this sanctuary can be turned out. Most lights that we know can be extinguished. But this light is inextinguishable. It's an inextinguishable light. It cannot be put out no matter what happens to it or around it. I, I'm not making it up. John helps us to see it in verse 5. Here's what verse 5 says. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Can you imagine in all of the darkness of this world that encompassed and surrounded and attempted and still attempts right now to overtake this light. This light is inextinguishable. It can't be overpowered. Let, let, let me say it plainly. There's nothing that can put it out. 
There's nothing that can put it out. Jesus came into the world, illuminating its sin and need for redemption. And the world chose to remain in its sin, thus seeking to oppose and even to overcome the light. But they could not do so. world couldn't put it out. You know, you don't know the reason why I know this to be true? Because it's still shining. The light is still shining. Right now, the glorious light of Christ is still shining about us. That, that glorious, overwhelming light that met the shepherds that night that caused them to be afraid, that caused them uh, to be in fear. That same glorious light is still shining right now. It's shining because it's inextinguishable. And so in the first paragraph of our teaching today, today, John helps us with the background and the essence of Christ, but then he takes a sudden turn and he begins to help us to understand the forerunner. The forerunner. It's in verses 6 through 8. Verse 6 says this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. We can stop right there because John, uh, John the apostle John, in verse 6, turns his attention to another John. John the Baptist, in verses 6 through 8. John the Baptist, you probably recall, is a very prominent and respected individual in his day. Many came to him to hear him preach, even though his message was often a call to repentance. The amazing thing about John the Baptist is that he never performed a miracle or a sign. He only preached and baptized. That's all he did. Yet the people pondered in their hearts whether perhaps John could be the Christ. Wondered. Delisa, whether or not John was the one that they had long awaited for, whether John was the Messiah. And it's been said about John the Baptist, it's been said that John the Baptist is the only prophet besides Jesus who was himself the subject of prophecy. For instance, Malachi 3.1 says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Isaiah 40 and 3 says this, says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God prophecy about John the Baptist that he fulfilled in his day. He was the forerunner. And the other thing that this verse says about him is very, very important not to miss. It says this, that he was sent from God. Sent from God, John the, John the Baptist. I like what Edwin Blum says about this very uh, uh, phrase, sent from God. It, Blum says this, he says that this was the secret of John's importance. Like the Old Testament prophets, Blum says, he was equipped and commissioned by God for special ministry. He was sent from God. 
sent from God. John was. Uh, verse 7 helps us, though, to understand his true mission. Because contrary to those that had contact with him, contrary to their belief, he was not the Christ. He had a particular specific mission that he was about fulfilling. Verse 7 will help us to understand what that mission was. Verse 7 says this, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the Christ, but rather a witness to the Christ, the forerunner who came to prepare the way. This word witness in the Greek is materia. Uh, it means witness, testimony, or to testify. This is a very significant word and a very significant significant act for the Apostle John as he writes, so much so that he includes this word in either noun or verb form 136 times in his gospel and in his epistles. You remember that John is known as the great evangelist. You remember that his emphasis is in his writings is that we would believe. He, his focus was on evangelizing the world, and we see it in his writing as he emphasizes this word, witness, all throughout 136 times. John the Baptist was sent for the people's benefit to tell the truth about Jesus as he knew it. He pointed everyone who was in darkness to the marvelous light of Christ, the Lamb of God. He, he pointed. He was committed to that. And so we've looked at John has helped us to see the background and the essence of Christ. Then he took a detour briefly to talk about the forerunner of Christ who came not as the Messiah, not as the Christ, but as the witness to the goodness, the grace, the glory of Christ. Then John then takes us to the reason the light came. Reasons the light came. We saw in the first paragraph that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Then he detours a little bit and talks about the forerunner. Now he comes back to the idea of the light and he shares with us the reasons that the light came. Verse 9 says this. Verse 9 says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So the first reason that the light came was this, to reveal God's glory to everyone. To reveal God's glory to everyone. Share the light of Christ and the light of God with everyone. There's a reason why it came. Isaiah kind of speaks of it in Isaiah chapter 50, verses 8 and 9. Here's what Isaiah says. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. The light. It came. Jesus came to reveal God's glory. The psalmist in Psalm 27, one of my favorite psalms, 
says this in just the very first part of the very first verse about the glory of God. It says this in the light of God. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Paul reminds us of the reason that the light came. When he reminds us of this, he reminds us that we used to be in darkness. But the light came to rescue us from the darkness. He says this in Ephesians 5, 8. For at one time, you were darkness. But now, somebody say, but now. Somebody say it again, but now. But now, you are light in the world. Then there is an imperative walk as children of light. We have a responsibility since we've been rescued from the darkness. But the light came so that we could be rescued, so that the, the glory of God could be revealed to all of us who were steeped and stuck. Somebody say stuck. In darkness. Thank God that he pulled me out of the miry clay and delivered me from the darkness. Since that's happened, Paul says I have a responsibility. So, the, so the, the light came, number one, to reveal God's glory to everyone. But then secondly, the light came for another reason. I'm going to read verses, verse 12 only. We've already read, read 10 and 11. I'm going to skip to verse 12. Here's what verse 12 says. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Here's the second reason the light came, to provide a route to full adoption. Because before the light came, we didn't have a way. But when the light shows up, he gives us a route to full adoption so that we would be fully accepted and received into God's family as son and as daughter with all of the rights and privileges associated with sonship and daughtership. Here's what Paul says about it in Romans 8, 14 through 16. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, somebody say it, Abba Father. The Spirit himself, Paul says, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The light came to give us a way and a route to full, unhindered adoption. Aren't you glad? That that happened, we were orphans. We were lost before the light. The light comes and we are immediately, as we received him, connected to the Father. And I'm so glad that happened. And so Paul, uh, uh, I'm sorry, John helps us with uh, these things uh, about the light, right, and about the Christmas uh, uh, account according and the coming of Christ, rather, according to him. He helps us to see the background, the essence of Christ. He helps us to understand who the forerunner is and what his duty and mission was. And then he explains to us the reasons the light came, but he closes it out with this, the grandest 
gift, the grandest gift. It's in verses 14 through 18. The grandest gift, it reminds me of growing up. I grew up here. I'm so glad my aunt's here this morning. Aunt Clara, wave your hand, Aunt Clara. I grew up here in Tyler. But my mother's side of the family, from a little town in East Texas called Woodville, it's where my aunt was born and raised, and my mother and all of that side of the family was born and raised. And when we would uh, get ready for Christmas time every year, This so touched me as a child, and I look back on it with such fond memories. As a child growing up, every Christmas, we would make our way to Woodville. And I'll never forget, never forget that if we made our way down Martin Luther King Street, Woodville, Texas, it wasn't called Martin Luther King then, it was Elm Street. Is that right, Aunt Clara? Made our way down Elm Street to Big Mama's house. We called the Big Mama. I don't know what you call your grandparents. Big Mama. We made our way to Big Mama's house. Nate, and as we drove down Elm Street and we parked in front of Big Mama's house, I'll never forget every Christmas as we got out of the car and made our way to the front porch. Big Mama would make her, make her way out of the house. And before we could almost get out of the car, She would always, every year, say the same words. She'd look out the door, see all the kids coming, and she'd say these two words. Christmas gift. Christmas gift. And to me, that meant, looking back on it now, that for her, that was the only gift she needed. See, the kids coming to celebrate Christmas. It was for her the grandest gift that Big Mama could have. John, though, helps us to see that there is even a grander gift, the grandest gift in 14 through 18. Here's what it says. Verse 14 says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This describes the grandest Christmas gift ever. Here's what he says. Let's break it down. He says this, the word. Word, right? We've already, we've already established that this word is logos. It means uh, it, it's God, right? It, it, it is God. He says the word God did something. Here's what the grandest gift looks like. The word who is God did something. The word who is God became flesh. Became flesh. In other words, he voluntarily chose to become what was necessary. Voluntarily. He didn't have to. He voluntarily chose to become what was necessary. Paul says it in Philippians 2 this way. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Then he does this. He dwelt Among us. 
the grandest gift. He chose voluntarily to do what was necessarily what necessary. He became flesh. And then not only did he become flesh because he could have become flesh and just left himself uh, isolated from us, but he didn't do it that way. He didn't become flesh to remain isolated. He became flesh in order that he might do something. What did he do? He dwelt among us. It's been said this way, and I think I've heard Nate say this a few times. I've heard Nate didn't create it, but I've heard many people say this. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Nobody cares how much you know. Nobody cares how uh, sovereign you are. Nobody cares how omnipotent you are. Nobody cares how omniscient you are. Nobody cares how omnipresent you are until they know how much you care. And dwelling among us shows care for us. And God says, I care for you so much. That number one, I'm going to become flesh because flesh is the only way that I can connect with you. But I have to not only become flesh, I have to dwell among you. And so he does that. He shows genuine care. And so we see this grandest gift played out in the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. But we also see it played out in verse 16. Here's what verse 16 says this. For him... His fullness we have all received, grace upon grace. My goodness, I don't even know if I can preach this part of it. This touches me so much. Grace upon grace. Isn't that something? Grace upon grace. God's grace uh, and blessings coming to the believer as waves come to the shore of the ocean, endlessly coming one upon the other, grace upon grace, constant, continuous, one after another, irrefutable evidence of God's grace. You ought to say amen to that. Is what you know, I've been reading Jamar Tisby's book, The Color of Compromise. And in that book, he talks about a man who was a former slave trader, who was also a former captain of a slave ship. He gives an account of this man. The man's name is John Newton. And he talks about how Newton, after his conversion, decides because of the Lord's leading to leave the slave trade and abandon the slave ship. And he decides to devote his life to becoming a child of God and a follower of the gospel and an abolitionist. Part of what, what he does in this time is he pins one of the most famous hymns of all time. And it really illustrates this idea of grace upon grace. Because here's what he says, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, grace upon grace, but now I see. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I've already come. It was grace. That brought me this far. And grace upon grace will lead me home. 
It's awesome. This is the grandest gift. John doesn't stop there, though he goes on to describe this grandest gift in verse 17, because in verse 17 he says this, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Christ. Christ ushers in this era of grace and truth that nobody could really relate to because they were so accustomed to this law that had them bound that Moses brought in through God. Jesus came with the grandest gift, grace and truth. And then lastly, John says this about this grandest gift in verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Here is the last part of this grandest gift idea. That he, you know who he is. He has made him known. Moses longed, you'll recall, to see God more fully and was granted a partial glimpse of God in Exodus. But in Christ, we see God dwelling among men in human flesh. The nature of the invisible Father is displayed in the Son. Here's the good news. Jesus is the light of the world, voluntarily became flesh and took up residence among us so that we could experience God's glory and have a route to full adoption into God's family. But can I share with you the big idea, the final thought I want to give you? Here it is. Big things come in small packages. It's Christmas time, and many have been going to Christmas parties, if you're still having them. If not this year, you'll recall going to Christmas parties, company Christmas parties, or family Christmas parties in the past. And one of the favorite things to play nowadays at, at the Christmas party is the white elephant gift exchange. And the interesting thing about the white elephant exchange is that the eye will likely, most of the time, lead you to the big gift big bag, the big box. But what I found out, the secret to the white elephant game is uh, the good gifts are not in the big package. The ones that get passed around the most are the smallest ones. Because oftentimes the smallest ones are gift cards. <laughs> and so those are the ones that are desired most, most great and big things come in small packages. Our eyes are normally drawn to the big, large gifts, but Jesus came in humility, in a lowly manger, this small package that laid in a feeding trough in Bethlehem was packed with greatness for all of humanity. He was and is the, not a. He was the word. He was and is the light. Was and is the way. Was and is the truth. Was and is the life. He's also some other things, though. He's also the lily of the valley. 
He's also the bright and morning star. He's also the alpha and the omega. He's also uh, the, the beginning and the end. He's also the author and the finisher. He's also the kinsman redeemer. He's also the lamb of God and the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is all of those things. Not A, but the big things come in small packages. Jesus is the light of the world. Gracious eternal God, we thank you for your grace that is amazing. That is grace upon grace. We love you, we worship you, we thank you for the coming of our Savior. We pray, Lord, that we, was, we would walk as children of light. Help us, Lord, to reflect you in this world. Thank you so much. Thank you. We pray, Lord, that uh, you guide us and lead us in the days, weeks, years to come, that we would glorify and magnify you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. Uh, want to offer and extend our two invitations at this time. The first one is all important. It is the invitation to Christian discipleship to come to know Lord, the Lord as, as Lord and Savior, Jesus as Lord and Savior, to give him your hand and your heart and to have the opportunity to walk together with him throughout eternity. If you're here today and you'd like to do that, we want to know about it. We want to help you to do that. We'd like to pray with you, pray for you. Let us know. You can let us know now by raising your hand or standing. You can let us know later. These brothers are standing in the back to help to pray with you uh, to be able to do that. And as I always say, even if it doesn't happen now, you still have time as long as the, the, the old folks used to say the blood is still running warm in your veins. We want to extend to you, though, that opportunity. Uh, let us know. Anyone have a desire that does not already know Jesus as Savior to do that? Let us know. And then secondly, then, we want to extend to any of you that have been visiting with us, uh, or maybe it's your first time visiting with us, and you've decided that you want to unite with us and to make Bethel Hope your church home, we want to extend to you that opportunity as well. We'd love to pray with you and lead you through that process. Let us know if you're that person or those people. You can signify, raise your hand, stand up, or you can do it after service is over. Just grab one of these guys or myself, and we'll get that going for you. Anyone? Amen. God bless you. With that, we want to uh, acknowledge um, our first-time visitors Anyone that may be here with us today that is a first-time visitor to Bethel Hope, would you stand let us know who you are? Amen. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Remain, you're not getting off that easy. Remain standing. Yep, yep, you got to get back up. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Would you mind telling us, giving us your name, and if you came with someone, let us know who you came with, or if not, that's fine as well. We'll start with you, ma'am. Wonderful. 
Wonderful, wonderful. Glad to have you. Yes. Barry. Thank you, Barry. And Imparo. Yes. Thank you for being with us. You let the cat out the bag, Barry. I wasn't going to tell them that. But it's okay. Now they know they got to be here. To hear. You got to be here next week because <laughs> you don't want to miss. I'm going to be here too, by the way, because I want to hear Barry. Uh, but Barry is going to be with us next week. Uh, Barry served many years as senior pastor at, uh, give me the name. Yes, yes, yes. And he's now retired from that um, uh, mission. No, that's not the word I was looking for. That assignment. And he now lives in, here and he's moved to East Texas. Yes. Amen. And so uh, I've heard great things. And so Barry's going to bless us on next week. God bless you. Thank you all that are visiting with us for being here. We simply pray that uh, you have been as blessed by being here as we have by having